0: Close your eyes.
1: It's half past midnight, and you're listening to The Ghost Story Guys.
0: Welcome to The Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Paul Bestall. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 175 and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. Paul, my friend, how are you?
2: I'm very well. I'm certainly a lot better than the Australian farmer Colin Devereaux this week.
0: And uh, what has what has befallen poor Mr. Devereaux?
2: Uh, he survived a crocodile attack by biting it on the eyelid. It let him go, and he survived.
0: And he never had to pay for a beer again.
2: <laughs> yeah, he was repairing a fence, and it sneaked up behind him and pulled him into the creek. That's wh- how did
0: he manage to twist around enough to bite its eye? Well,
2: whilst whilst they were spinning, it kind of twisted him round, and he ended up face to face with it, and he didn't know what else to do, so he just bit its eyelid, and it made it let go.
0: Imagine the solid clanking brass balls you must possess in order to come literally face to face with death, with one of the oldest predators on the planet, and just decide, well, fuck you, and biting it.
2: Yeah, uh, he he said. I was in such an awkward position, but by accident, my teeth caught his eyelid. It was pretty thick, like holding on a leather, But I jerked back on his eyelid, and he let go. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Well, Australia, your your status as a cartoon nation goes <laughs> undefeated. And again, that guy has my undying respect. That's crazy.
2: Yeah. It gets better then, because he then created his own tonnage. Eh? and strapping with some rope and then his brother drove him the 80 miles to the nearest hospital 80 miles that's the Northern Territories for you pal (laughs) it's been a strange week in Australia there was a woman missed a flight on Sunday who thought rather than wait for the next one she just ran on the stopped, and was waving at the pilot to open the door to let her on did it work? Uh, no she well if she wanted to be arrested yes
0: (laughs) okay fair pilots hate this one weird trick
2: (laughs) she's like excuse me like pointing at the door (laughs)
0: like catching a taxi (laughs) throw a rope down for her come on love get on (laughs) i saw i saw commando i know how this goes just get up through the wheels that's what they all do that's it if again if it's good enough for john matrix man it's good enough for you absolutely so speaking of movies, I have weirdly found myself in two of them over the last few weeks. um Of course, I, I've been in London, Ontario for close to a month now, actually just over a month, and I have been cast in two films, which is again not something I sort of ever saw coming. <laughs> Both horror films, perhaps not surprisingly, uh, one is a short and the other is a feature. And yeah, so I, this is just not a not a position I ever thought I'd find myself in, Paul. But um, it is both a fascinating and terrifying process, but yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the next, this weekend is the first shoot we're doing, uh, one day on Saturday and then we got two days next week for the short. And then I think they're still putting together the, the feature, but that should be happening at towards the end of the month, apparently. So yeah, very cool It's a entirely new adventure for me, but, uh, I am again, terrified and excited in equal measure. Outstanding. Yes. And then I, uh, on my day off, I drove over to Niagara Falls because I had never been and it is only two hours away from me. And it is as spectacular as I was told. I I was not disappointed.
2: Were you you working out if the fact about Coca-Cola and Niagara Falls
0: is true? I do not know that fact.
2: If all the Coca-Cola ever produced was poured over Niagara Falls, it would last 24 hours. Really?
0: Hmm. That's how, All much, right. well, that's
2: how much water goes over Niagara Falls every day.
0: I don't know if that's more impressive for the water or the Coca-Cola. I, I don't know which, which angle to take that from. <laughs> well, whether it was water or Coca-Cola, man, you feel small. In the grand scheme of things, you, you feel very, very, very human, very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, next to, to that much natural might. And so that's why I think this show is going to be a nice sort of antidote. To that, because while we might be small in, in the grand scheme of nature, we matter a lot to each other. And on this episode, we're going to be exploring stories of the life after death. We have we take one little diversion for a very, very interesting uh listener, Gremlin story. But most of what we're gonna be sharing on today's show is about yeah, about the notion of life after death, about being contacted by those we love and what that means to us. So there will be some feels on this show, folks, but you know us. Uh, there's going to be feels, then there's going to be a, a a very inappropriate joke and, you know, Paul's going to be kind of uncertain about what I'm doing to his professional credibility and it'd be, the great cycle continues, you know.
2: Live, laugh, love.
0: That's it. All right, well, before we live, laugh, and love our way <laughs> to some <laughs> terrifying tales. Actually, they're not even really terrifying. Any, whatever, this is a mess. Yeah. Somebody but, should make way. a sign of that. They should, You know what? We should be the first. I tell you, we'll make a killing with that. But first... We have to thank our patrons.
1: This one's for the patrons.
0: Patrons, you're the laugh and love to our live, (laughs) which is to say you complete us and you make life worth living. Well, that sounds super desperate. I don't need to show that bad, but but you make life easier. We'll say that we very, very much appreciate you. And while of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons. We would especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are Sarah Soul. Lynn Bailey, Cassandra Kuiper, and Ava. Guys, thank you so, so much. Genuinely, the Ghost Story Guys does not exist without our patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate you. And if you want to join the team, head to patreon.com slash Guys. That's patreon.com slash Guys, Or sign up to GSD Premium via Apple Podcasts. And while we'll wait till the end of the show to tell you about all the cool shit you get, we will say, for a dollar a month, you get an ad-free feed. And who doesn't want that? Ads suck. So again, head to patreon.com slash guys or sign up to GSD Premium via Apple Podcasts. Two more bits of housekeeping. Uh, first off, I want to say welcome to Nakatomi Freefall. They uh, are, of course, a synthwave group out of Vancouver Island, Canada. One of their songs appeared on a recent episode of Talk Spooky to Me, and they are the most recent... Arrivals to our label, Night Harvest Recordings. So, big welcome to Nakatomi Freefall. We'll be releasing their latest record, I believe, later this year. And if you want to learn more about Nakatomi Freefall and all the other fine folks on our record label, head to nightharvestrecordings.com. And speaking of music, our composer is Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of film journalist and musician Jerry Smith. You can find more from him at rainydaysforghosts.bandcamp.com or by searching for Rainy Days for Ghosts and Street Witch on music platforms everywhere. All right, so we're gonna take a quick break and we will be right back with stories of the life
1: after death.
0: Bob of Death from Zelly. My dad's best friend was a guy called Bob. Growing up, he was someone I'd consider an uncle, not blood related, but part of the family in a sort of nebulous way. He was the first person to accidentally show me my first pair of boobs on screen, which was terrifying at the time and hilarious in retrospect. What kind of person shows fast times at Ridgemont High to an eight year old? He was well known around our town and something of a local legend for his ubiquitous personality. He was heavily involved in the local music scene and had earned the nickname Bob of Death, in reference to his interest in metal, the occult, and because it was funny. He was the kind of guy you'd see around town constantly. When I started going out to bars in my 20s, there was always a 50-50 chance he'd be at whatever bar I'd chosen, and I'd find out the friends I was with knew him too. He passed away suddenly and caused a shockwave in the community. I had never before realized how lucky I was that I'd gotten to know the real him until after he was gone. On the day that he died, I was in the last few weeks of a miserable job doing monotonous, lonely work. I usually was completely alone for three quarters of the day. In the afternoon, as I was finishing up, I felt a sudden wave of pure sadness wash over me. I had no idea what had caused it, but I had to sit on the floor and just cry for about twenty minutes before I could calm myself down. I chalked it up to just being hangry or being miserable at work, as such things are not unknown to happen. That night, when I got the news that Bob had passed away that afternoon, around the same time as I was finishing up work, I let myself imagine that maybe he'd been telling me goodbye. It's been about a year and a half since that day, and like all grief, it comes and goes. About two weeks ago, I got a new tattoo. It was a custom piece that was inspired by the Black Rabbit of Inlay from Watership Down. The night before I saw the final design from the artist, I had a very unusual dream. In the dream, I was in a cafe off of a main street in a familiar town I didn't bother placing. It was a busy, sunny day, and I sat at a table watching people walk by. Across from me was a person I couldn't quite make out, but I got the impression that he'd wandered into the coffee shop, seen me sitting there, and then joined me to chat. It was obvious that we knew each other, but as we conversed it became clear we hadn't seen each other in quite a bit. He asked me how I'd been doing, where I was now, how my dad and stepmom were doing, I filled him in on the details. I'd moved across the country. He'd like it there, I think. Lots of good metal shows. My dad was doing fine, we all missed him, and oh, did you want to see my new tattoo? I showed him the tattoo on my arm, and although I couldn't make out the design, as I hadn't gotten it yet, I knew it was perfect. He congratulated me on the choice and mentioned he'd always loved the art style for the Black Rabbit in the animated movie. We talked a bit more after that, but I don't remember the details. As he stood up to leave and as I gave him an awkward hug, I realized it was, of course, Bob I'd been talking to. I woke up pretty abruptly, thanks to my cat scratching the side of his litter box, but even in that split second of coming out of the dream, I saw Bob there, and he knew that I knew it was him. I can explain the oddness of this dream and its subject matter away as just processing grief, getting a tattoo that symbolizes passing from one realm to the other in memoriam of those who have known who have passed on. Naturally, I'd think of someone I was very close to who had passed away recently. But I like to think this really was him, because if there's one person I would trust to pop back into my life after he died, it would be Bob. I mentioned this dream to my dad recently, and he shared with me he's actually had similar dreams in the last year, just Bob bobbing by to say hi. It's comforting to think this, and while in some ways it opens that wound up for me to miss him fiercely, I am still grateful to have seen him. And Zelly, that's that's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. He sounds like a cool dude. Very much so. Now, Paul, you were going to explain to me what the Black Rabbit of Inlay is, because I, I'm not familiar, I've never seen Watership or read Watership Down.
2: Oh, obviously, it's, it's a rite right of passage here in the United Kingdom for children of a certain age, that they all have to go through Watership Down, and if you get through the other end, you have realized at seven that you now know all about death, loss, prejudice, <laughs> bigotry. Oh, wow. Pain. Emotion and everything in between. It's an incredible piece of work for a children's book. It's it's incredible. Richard Adams's book and um, the Black Rabbit of Inlay is essentially the rabbit version of the Grim Reaper. Oh, okay. And but in the book, he is also sentient because I think he works. I'm trying to think what the god's called. The rabbit god is it? Fith Frith. So it's a very expansive story you know the rabbits have hierarchies and bigotry about different colored rabbit and prejudice and they all have a belief system of this great rabbit god so it's um includes things like uh myxomatosis and uh vicious fights because of one of those things that everybody thinks rabbits are really cute well they are until they decide to have a rabbit fight and then they just rip the shit out of each other
0: I mean I, that doesn't come as much of a surprise. I, I used to know a girl in high school, beautiful, beautiful woman, and uh, she was insane, like physically violent. She would attack people. That a beautiful thing can also be dangerous does not come as a shock.
2: Yes. So yeah. So that's what it symbolizes, and it's a it's a very sort of the imagery is very different for the rabbit in the film is very different to the imagery used for everything else. So it gives it this kind of supernatural, spectral. Sort of folklory look to it. It's a very oh, sort okay. of. Um, it's kind of done in a very sort of medieval style, whereas all the other rabbits are all obviously uh, the, a modern, lifelike interpretation of what a rabbit looks like. This is very sort of ye olde drawing of a rabbit flying Interesting. around.
0: Interesting. I gotta look this up now. I'm very curious. Black rabbit of inlay. Oh! Oh, interesting. That's not at all what I expected. Okay, no, that that is more what I expected. That is, yeah, no, that is chilling. I love that. That is cool.
2: So, yeah, you've done very well. Watership Down can destroy people still to this day. It's an extremely powerful. It's one of those, it's like Bambi that people go, oh, well, it's just a cartoon. it be fine for the kids, this.
0: <laughs> right. It's, it's like Grave of the Fireflies or something. Yeah. This is not for children.
2: It is, but it's not. Right. It's it's the right kind of book, but I think you've got to. It's one of those things that sometimes I think adults forget they were children, and therefore sometimes they can see something that is animation, and they just presume that it will be fine. And you know, I was very fortunate growing up that I I came from a very sort of forward thinking house, so we didn't have things like banned books or, or or things were were censored or whatever within reason, of course, but. Um, you know, I know people who weren't allowed to watch Watership Down because their parents said it was too traumatic, which it is.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, just looking at the the rabbit uh, was was enough to uh, to give me I'm, I'm sure night terrors for later. So I, I'm I'm curious though, Paul, what for you was your first? I guess maybe Watership Down. What was your first encounter with animation that wasn't specifically for kids that made you go, oh, maybe there's more to this than just than just kids stuff? Was it Watership Down?
2: Um. No, I I think it was probably the animated attempt to do the Lord of the Rings films.
0: Oh, that now was that Ralph Bakshi who did that? I
2: think so. Yeah. So I would have been about nine, eight, nine okay. when I saw that, because that was the only thing. It was the only version we had, other than the book, right? Um, what got me into it was that the audio play was on Radio 4 and I was a voracious reader already by the, the age of eight. My At uh, eight, my reading age was 13, I think.
0: Doesn't surprise me at all.
2: I was a very
1: precocious child. I'm shocked. <laughs> Look at this face. This is a shocked face.
2: <laughs> and, um, and so, obviously, I, I'd kind of moved away from a lot of the books that perhaps some of my peers were reading at that time. So I was starting to read things like I'd read the Hobbit and I'd read, you know, all the Greek myths and legends and, and by this point I'd already attempted to read Dracula, found it a bit hard going as I would imagine most nine-year-olds would. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so my mum thought, well, he's obviously interested. So, they um, we started listening to to the Lord of the Rings that was on Radio Four at that time. They used to do a lot of serials like that, and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and things. Right. And and I absolutely adored it. And and then the attempt to make the film because it was it was a film that people in this current, in the UK were constantly trying to make. The Beatles were going to do a version of it, and they just couldn't get the funding. And so they tried this animation film, and they ran out of money. So oh, I didn't it, know that. It's basically the first book and a bit, so it's. It's the fellowship, and then it's the beginning of the two towers, and then the film just stops, and it didn't really do much at the cinema and and so it kind of just disappeared and they, they never finished they never made the the rest of it or anything. So we had this until Jackson turned up to uh finally create the the wonder that is the the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, so it was um that was probably the 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 first time I saw a cartoon that made me think that it wasn't just, you know, and that's no disrespect. You know, I adore animation of all kinds, be it from, from comics to cartoons. I mean, Bugs Bunny will always be one of my heroes and um, all that kind of, you know, I was obsessed with Looney Tunes as well. You know, I can read Lord of the Rings, but I I can also laugh at Bugs Bunny. And I think that's what having an open-minded way of appreciating art in all its
0: forms should be. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. Uh, For me, actually, funny enough, it was Ralph Bakshi that was sort of my introduction to the notion that uh, animation could be more than just kid stuff because I, although it was not quite Lord of the Rings, it was Fritz the Cat, which, uh, uh, folks, I I, I don't know if you've seen Fritz the Cat. I don't know if I would recommend watching it at this point. I think it's very much a product of its time. But, oh boy, yep. I remember, I'll never forget, a friend of mine brought it over. And, uh, there was just a cat having sex with, I want to say a crow and the cat was, the crow was making fun of his penis. And and I just thought, well, all right, we have moved officially beyond the realm of Snow White and Looney Tunes.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That was always one. That was one of the first films we saw where people were taking advantage of the fact that their parents were completely out of touch with technology and didn't really understand what videos were. Right. Because they said, oh, look, there's, it's a cartoon. How bad can it be?
0: Well, I mean if you're feeling if you're feeling adventurous folks, I'm sure you can find it streaming anywhere. Um <laughs> Yeah. Consider this an official warning. <laughs> it's
2: not aged well.
0: No, it has not aged well. It is yeah, it has aged not aged
2: like well. aged like milk.
0: Yeah. I I think <laughs> it was it was that and then heavy metal. Now I never liked heavy metal. I still don't like heavy metal, but that was, yeah. And I I was actually kind of relieved because there was no weird animal fucking happening. So like, that was a bonus for me. That was, uh, that was, I was like, oh, okay, well, I hate the music and this thing annoys me. And I, again, I've never liked heavy metal. I once dated briefly a girl who was really like into the heavy metal aesthetic. And I just thought, oh God, no, this is, this is not for me. But again, it did not have a cat and a bird having sex with each other. So it was a step up.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think that. And then I think when I finally realized that they were of not that I ever thought that they weren't. But I think when you the first time I remember the first time I saw Akira. Oh, yeah. This is just different level. This is a man that's 30 years ago, 30 odd, more than 30 years ago. Most early, late 80s, early 90s. I can't remember when it came out, but Akira, it was just,
0: oof. I think it came out in 88. Uh, Yeah, 88.
2: Yeah, so I saw I saw it was shown over here on, on Channel 4 about 1990. I think. Oh, okay.
0: Oof. Akira completely changed my attitude on anime because when I was in my early 20s, which is when I saw it, so it would have been early 2000s, I didn't like anime at all. I, I kind of judged my friends who did like it. I thought they were nerds and i mean to a certain degree i still think they are but um you know for different reasons but uh at the time yeah i just thought no you know this is this is nerd shit um because part of it was you know watch naruto watch bleach watch one piece there's 400 episodes to this thing i just i'm not gonna do this i i've got so many other things i'd rather be doing than watching 400 episodes of a tv show no thank you but then um yeah back then kids we had uh, the Netflix was actually like a DVD rental through the mail. Mm. So you you paid a certain amount a month and they would send you a certain number of DVDs and you would send them back in little paper mailers. And um, I saw so much cool shit because our local video store didn't carry stuff like that. So I got to see stuff like Jules A. Jim and The Seventh <laughs> Seal and Akira. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it explains a lot about me. But um, <laughs> I also got to see Ultra Christ and Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. So the, like there was, a, there was a, an evil, even distribution of, of quality and garbage. Swings and roundabouts. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, I remember watching Akira and just, yeah, it completely. That and Neon Genesis Evangelion. Akira first and then Neon Genesis or the Evangelion. That, that both really kind of upended my notion of what to expect from an anime.
2: Yeah. We used to get a lot of Japanese kids shows shown in the UK. So we I think we were we were probably a little bit more ready for stuff like that because when I was growing up Battle of the Planets was one of my favorite. Oh shows. yeah. Primarily because the end, I remember the end that the end of that cartoon show has stayed with me probably 40 years where they finally kill Zoltan, who's the leader of the baddies and G-Force finally Finishing with Mark and Jason kill him or kill it. It's a very spooky final episode because I think Mark, who was like the the second in command, who was who was too hot-headed to be the leader. So Jason had to be the leader or whatever they called him in other English-speaking countries. He basically chases Zoltan down in this citadel and he's no idea where he is and he's, he's lost. All his armies are gone and everything. And he knows he's trapped. And Mark just wanders around, just whistling this ominous tune, and it's getting louder and louder. As Zoltan tries to get away, and he can't, can't hide, he can't, he can't get away from him until he finds him.
0: I, that's dark. That that's like the last Rambo movie, where Rambo basically turns into a slasher villain. <laughs> when your hero becomes more scary than your villain, you fucked up.
2: Yeah. I find it, it it's remarkable that a show I haven't watched for probably 40 years, I can still tell you that the five main characters were Mark, Jason, Princess, Tiny, and Keop.
1: The
0: only thing I have any kind of recall like that for was Ninja Turtles. That's because there was four of them, and it's been <laughs> reinforced over the years. If you asked me what like Thunderc- who the Thundercats were, aside from Lion-O, and even that I only know because of Robot Chicken, I would, I would have no idea. Chitara. I knew a girl named Chitara. I guess that is where the name came from. Okay, that makes sense. Panthro. Panthro, not you sure?
2: One of them, the, yeah, there's two annoying thunder kittens in it, and I can't remember their names, and then Mumra.
1: Mumra!
2: <laughs> <laughs> thunder, 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 thunder cats!
1: <sighs>
0: we used to make proper kids shows. Yes, they did. Zelly, I'm so sorry. We, we've we gone really far away from your wonderful, wonderful story, but thank you so, so much for sharing that with us. And and, and again, we, we hope that you, you have many more dreams of, of Bob to come.
2: Yes. You take as much from that communication as you need because that's probably what it's there for. Absolutely. For and probably for Bob as well. The Wake Up from Claire. I hope this finds you both well in the hangover of Halloween. I don't even know where this next story fits into the world of the paranormal. I've experienced everything from ghosts to shadow people, sleep paralysis and some other strange phenomena. But this story doesn't seem to stick to any of those categories well enough. A little background. My son and I moved to our home nearly four years ago. This is the longest I have ever lived in one place since I moved out of home. It was the first home that I could sense that the energy was perfect for us, and we felt at home from the moment we set foot in it. For the last three years, my son, who's now 11, has shared my bed due to separation anxiety. We've worked so hard over the past few months to get him back to his own bed, and we've been having success over the last few weeks of him sleeping in that bed for most of the night. Often, because I'm a light sleeper, I'll hear him walk down the hall, then feel him come into the bed where he crashes back to sleep straight away. This last week, he's gone through the night in his own bed a few times, so as to say it's been luxurious to claim my whole bed to myself has been an understatement. Last night, he stayed at his dad's house. This morning, I heard him come down the hall and felt the weight of him get into the bed with me. Though I wanted to stay sleepy, I knew that this morning was Thursday and he shouldn't be there. I put my hand to his shoulders as he leaned over to me, whispering my name in a rush. Mum! 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 The panic rose hard and fast as I raced out of that sleepy but waking stage. I could feel two very real sensations. His breath on my face, and I could even smell the morning smell of it, and the skin over his shoulder and collarbone area pressurising against my hand where I was holding him back. He was well and truly invading my personal space, a sensation I hate when he gets too close to me when he shares my bed. As soon as I could force out a rasped YES in response to his urgency everything disappeared including the weight off the bed. I picked up my phone to see the time was just after 5am, which wasn't an uncommon time for us to wake up, and our cats then came into the room and made themselves at home on my bed. I know a quick counter-argument would be to say that I heard the cats come into the room but there's a huge difference to the sound and feel of two three to four kilogram cats with sharp claws tip tapping over tiles and laminate floors at their own individual pace, to the sound of a thirty five kilogram child thudding heavy footed down a hallway. The other strange factor in all of this is that the cats are always in my room overnight, unless they go to use their litter trays. They tend to nestle like my personal guards at the foot of the bed crawling up to me at around 5am because they're ready for affection and food. Where were they and why did they leave my room? Only returning once this event was over. That's what puzzles me about the whole thing. Did they sense something that made them leave? So many questions, but of all of my experiences, this is the one that makes zero sense to me. Any insight or ideas would be welcome. Thank you again for your efforts. The Ghost Story Guys is a great show.
0: Well, thank you, Claire. And uh, that's, again, it's another one of these stories. It's almost like a, like a Vardiger, but obviously not quite, because Vardiger is kind of someone coming home. But I do wonder about that. Is it just a function of our sleeping brain that makes us think that this thing is happening? But then how would you explain the pressure on the bed? And the breath. And the Yeah, and the breath. Yeah. It, it actually makes me think of... Um, uh, something that Teresa told me when I, uh, our listener Teresa, when when I met her for coffee here a couple weeks ago, she was saying that she had, a, and I don't, I don't, I won't get into the whole story, but when she was younger, she had this experience where her and her brother were, I think they were, they were sharing a bed, and they both saw, they felt like a pressure, something climb on the bed, and then they actually both observed the mattress in front of their faces depress, like there was something there. And I I don't know that I've ever actually heard of someone actually seeing the depression happen. You know, we've talked about people feeling pressure on the bed, but I think that might have been the first time I'd actually heard someone say like, no, I saw what looked like pressure pushing, pushing down something where there was nothing there.
2: Have I not told you about the time I saw my auntie's ghost stroking the dog's belly at their, their pub? Yes, oh, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that definitely, that was, but that, that was sat on the bed. You could see the indentation where it was sat, and as I was watching it, it filled back up as though it had got off the bed because it realised I was there. A,
0: I forgot about that because I remember you because you saw like the stroking of the fur, correct? Yeah,
2: yeah. Fred was the, the, uh, Fred was being very attentive.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the part I remember is the, the stroking of the fur. I forgot about the uh, the impressions in the bed.
2: Yeah, it was Tina, Tina the Labrador that was having her tummy tickled.
0: <laughs> oh man! No, that's 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 really cool. Um, it's it's funny, you know. She mentions a Halloween hangover, and I was talking to to Brandon about this. Brandon Snyder. we you know, so you and I don't do anything additional for Halloween for as far as the shows go. You know, like uh, we don't put out any additional content. And um, you know, Brandon was asking like, what do you guys do? And and, and I just and you and I were talking about this. There's so much more shit going on at Halloween now than there ever used to be you know pretty much every show even shows that are not paranormally themed kind of do a ghost thing for Halloween and so it just I I sort of started thinking a couple years ago really I was like no this isn't worth it it's not worth the additional hassle of putting out new material or like additional material because it it, it, it used to be that Halloween was kind of like our Christmas and our numbers would spike like they wouldn't any other month and and that really hasn't been true the last few years we kind of see a much more like generalize, not generalized, but like more average numbers throughout the year. It's it's not like Halloween isn't the the focus point it used to be. Mm. We're we're kind of spread out more over the year now.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah, I think it is one of those things that obviously it's it seems to push its way into the mainstream more and more every year, especially over here. You know, we've had situations. You know, I remember thirty years ago, if Halloween fell on a Sunday, yeah. Nobody would show anything remotely
0: spooky. Really? Interesting. It's like, no, on television, you mean?
2: On on terrestrial television, yeah. The, right. The main channels wouldn't show anything at all. Even Channel 4 wouldn't do it, which isn't surprising for them in those days. They tend to do anything to thumb their nose at uh, the establishment.
1: <laughs> right.
2: So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's not something. But um, I know, like you say, it's not a Voyager, but... <laughs> What? Maybe it could have been some kind of astral projection.
0: Yeah, that could be. I'd be interested to, to know whether or not the kid had a had a dream about that.
2: He could be dreaming about being at home with his mum, and for him, yeah, it was such a such a powerful. And maybe because of of what we're told in the build up about separation anxiety, that maybe that manifested in some form of astral projection to be with his mum
0: yeah I, it reminds me of when i f- was doing the big blitz when i was writing strange uh i read you know shitload of paranormal books and there was there were two i read and they both referenced the same case but one was coming out from a more skeptical standpoint they were sort of examining past life or not sorry not past life but like visions of people returning to give wisdom and they gave this example of a mariner and they said, well, this mariner was was on the sea and like things were really, really bad. And he dreamed of his wife, or he, he, not dreamed, but like his wife was there with him. And he said, well, this gave me comfort. And they're like, oh, well that's, you know, clearly that's your brain putting this thing there so you, to feel better. So you f- sort of give you some comfort as you potentially could be dying. But wh- what was interesting is they didn't pursue it any further than that. They just sort of said, well, this is, yeah, clearly, clearly this is not real, but they didn't investigate much more than that. Like they didn't talk to the wife or anything like that. And what I found is interesting is, is another book I'd read had covered the same case, but there was an additional detail that the, the more skeptical book omitted, which is that same night, the wife dreamed about being on board the ship and comforting him during bad weather. (laughs) And. I wish I could remember the name of that case or, or the book. I think I've still got it on my shelf at home in Victoria, but, um, yeah. And so you do wonder if there is, if, yeah, if it's possible there's some kind of intense connection between people like, and you, and, and that can happen.
2: I would imagine there's lots of those kinds of stories, but they're often disregarded because they don't fall into the parameters of what you'd call a crisis apparition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. For folks who don't know, could you tell them what a crisis apparition is?
2: Yeah. Essentially it's, it's, it. People will claim to be visited by a a relative or a loved one or someone that means a lot to them in a situation where they know that person can't be there because they're in a foreign country or they're in hospital ill or whatever. But often they see this person and then, as is the usual, they receive a telegram or a letter or a telephone call to tell them that that particular person that they thought they thought they'd encountered had actually passed away at the particular time that they were visited.
0: Right. And, and there's a really great book, and I've mentioned it a million times in the show, but John Geiger's the third man factor mm. that details a lot of uh, interactions with, with what at the time he thought himself were just hallucinations. He thought they were uh, survi- like a deep-seated survival mechanism. But by the time he got around to his next book, if I recall, like I, his perspective had really shifted.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's a very interesting phenomenon, that.
0: So, thank you again, Claire. The Prancing Gremlin, from Stefan. Hello, Brennan, Paul, and all the other people that make Ghost Story Guys what it is. I have written previously about the guy. I was so excited you played it on your episode right before you launched Talk Spooky to Me. You inspired me to upload my stories. I just recorded this story last night and tagged the GSG and m M&M channels. If it's okay, I would like to plug my YouTube channel, Negative Art Productions. It's very okay, Stefan. My story was about a spirit that would haunt the neighborhood I grew up in. The neighborhood is located in White Bear Lake, Minnesota. It was down the street from the actual lake itself and was a suburb built in the 1950s. Each yard was very large and always heavily wooded in the back. Nature surrounded me and you could tell by the size of the trees and the land how old the area was. My neighborhood had an unsettling, electric energy. Even though it was beautiful, lush, and green, there was still a darker feel to the neighborhood than the other ones in town. I would notice after I started seeing the one main entity, I would also notice other things. Being at a doctor's visit when I was a teenager, I found out I needed glasses, as faraway objects were a blur. I had been seeing things that didn't make sense due to my vision being bad. I wouldn't ignore what I was seeing, but also didn't take much stock in it. Due to the fact that there was a rental house down the street with rotating tenants, I wouldn't always know every person in the neighborhood. When I realized what I was seeing wasn't from blurry vision, is when things got really unsettling. Around dusk I would see, inconsistently in front yards, what I would think was a mailbox. Then it would hit me that, why would a mailbox be in the middle of the yard? I could see it from across the street about 30 feet away. I would see a 3 to 4 foot tall, dark, thin object. It would then start moving and changing shape slightly to be more creature-like. A skinny body with arms and legs to match the inhuman thin structure. As weird as the sounds, my eyes were now telling me I was seeing what looked like a taller version of the evil gremlin from the movie Gremlins. Or a Dobby-like creature from Harry Potter. I would always see this swaying type prancing movement after i was focusing in almost like it was stuck in place as it would never move away or toward me when i realized it was not my bad vision i would approach to get a better look by the time i would get closer the swaying would get more intense and then the object would fade away into the darkness there was almost an intelligence to it disguising itself next to a mailbox at the end of a neighbor's yard Then once I focused on it, the shape would change to more of a skinny, short black humanoid. It was just far enough away to not see clearly. Then, poof. It knew I saw it, it would do the sway motion, then disappeared when I got closer. I was out one night with a friend and he saw it too. He thought it was my neighbor staring at us from the front yard. I asked him to describe it and he said it looked like a neighbor kid or something, but really small and... dancing? The motion and mischievous presence was perceived childlike by my friend, but to me always felt more taunting and mean-spirited. We got closer, and of course, it disappeared. My friend was convinced, and never assumed I was lying about seeing things again. After a while, I stopped paying attention, as there was never any resolution or end. Over the years as an adult, I would see them from time to time visiting my parents' house, staring across, looking at a small, gremlin-like creature swaying and taunting me in the dark. Another thing to note in most of my experience seeing things like this was the silence. They made zero noise, yet the feeling of energy you got from them was loud, if that makes sense. I have more stories I will continue to send in over time. I have heard stories on your show about what I have described, small little gremlin-like creatures interacting with people. I would love to hear what you think about this. Love the show. Stefan P.S. I have only had a few people in the entire world pronounce my name right. Even after I tell people how to pronounce it, they get it wrong. But you two said it correctly. As someone said in your most recent episode, your show does keep getting better and better. Well, thank you, Stefan. I hope to God I'm saying it right now, but there's a lot of pressure there, Paul. (laughs) Don't fuck it up, Storm. That could be the subtitle of this show.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, a return to White Bear Lake.
0: Yes and, and and gremlins. Yes. So are, are you familiar with other gremlin stories not necessarily from White Bear Lake but just generally?
2: Yeah, there's a there's there's a there was one on the the, the modern fairy sightings podcast recently which was quite unnerving.
0: I'm Trying to think if I've heard that one.
2: It's the uh, the one where she got gremlins in her flat when she oh, lived no, in I London. Oh no, I
0: I don't think I've heard that one yet.
2: Yeah, and uh, they kept sort of when she'd go to the toilet, they kept peering around the door at her. Yikes. Which I'd be scared if a normal person did that whilst I was in the toilet. Never mind, gremlin.
0: Yeah, supernatural and perverse is not a great combination. Like, start a podcast, stop being weird on people.
2: Yeah. I think it's because I watched Ghoulies as a teenager. Right. And go- Ghoulies 2 is the one where somebody meets their end on the toilet, I believe.
0: Yes. I, 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 that, I've I, never seen either of the Ghoulies films, but I remember the toilet cover out being iconic.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. If you want a, 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 an adult knockoff of gremlins, they're perfect.
0: I was, that was the 80s. It was the age of the knockoff of other things.
2: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, we had a, a whole slew of those, didn't we? Gremlins and ghoulies and critters.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. Yes.
2: It's the birth of, of tiny bastards in horror films. <laughs> Puppet Master? Yes. <laughs> Demonic toys?
0: Yep, of course. <laughs> uh, I feel like there was another one. Or maybe I'm just thinking Demo- the Demonic Toys Puppet Master crossover. Child's Play. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Apparently that show is in its third season. I had no idea. I watched the first season. I liked it well enough, but I I, I never, I didn't realize there was a second one.
2: Hmm. No, I didn't at all.
0: Did you watch the first season? No. no. You're not a trucky guy?
2: Um, I'm trying to go back and watch them. Oh, I don't
0: know if I'd do that.
2: I mean, I watched Child's Play the other week and and quite enjoyed it in a, in a very silly city way especially the bit where you can clearly see it's a toddler in a suit running about um, <laughs> that makes me always always makes me chuckle when he turns up at the the uh, psychiatric hospital to get is it andy a kid in it is he called andy
0: isn't that a toy story
2: anyway and he turns up and you can just see little character running up that fire escape
0: i gotta tell you man i i have a hard time being afraid of a villain i can punt <laughs> I mean, if there's a bunch of them, if we've got like a triple situation going on, all right, fine. I get it. Strength in numbers. But if it's just one doll, I mean, okay, the knife is scary, but if you can just put the boots to him before he gets a knife in his hand, this you're just, you're beating up a child at this point. Like, I understand the optics are not awesome, but it can't be that hard.
2: Yeah. I have forgotten how it, child's play essentially turns into the Terminator towards the end as well. I completely forgot about that bit.
0: I, I, I know it got a lot of stick. I actually quite like the remake. I I thought it, it obviously it's not it's you know it's not the original it, it can never be but no I I I, I didn't mind it. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I think the original still holds itself up to say it's you know nearly thirty five years old.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I would I would agree with that. Again, having the the amazing Brad Dourif voice Chucky, does help.
2: Yes, I mean it's no Puppet Master where one of the characters has a dead dog for most of the film, but you know it is what it is.
0: I mean, there's certain things in the Puppet Master series I would not need to see again. For example, like the leech lady. Oh, she's ass. Good Lord. That is the worst goddamn... Oh, I know. Folks, you can't see it in the video, but <laughs> Paul just did a horrible thing. And oh, yeah. The leech lady, whatever the fuck her name was. Bad. It's leech. a bad scene. Is it just leech? She's called leech. Oh, okay. My friends call her yeah. Lee. Well... I'm I'm happy to know she's got people I hope we never bump into each other at the grocery store good lord that was <laughs> oh, just every time I watch those movies that just grosses me out
2: I'm more disturbed in the second one where that human woman doll adopts them all at the end of the why don't the I remember one. this so the, the second one the dolls try to resurrect oh bloody hell what's he called puppet master
0: oh yeah something German
2: and then he decides he wants to create a female. Oh no, Toulouse. Yeah,
0: Taloon. 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 That's it.
2: Taloon. Because uh, the third one's called Taloon's Revenge, isn't it?
0: And yes, that's it.
2: And um, he, he creates that life-size woman puppet that he wants to steal somebody's life spirit and put it in this doll so he can marry it. And they have that big thing, and then the female doll somehow becomes alive and at the end she's driving driving <laughs> driving along in that bloody camper van pretending to be a children's entertainer or something
0: i have seen this movie and i have no recollection of any of this i remember the second one being total cack and maybe this is why it's kind of faded from my memory
2: it's a very strange one the first three are pretty good they they, they start to lose their way after the fourth one but um the third one's a work of genius, you know, na- puppets killing Nazis.
0: Hey, any kind of Nazi killing is, is all right by me.
2: Yeah. So, uh, yes. Anyway.
0: Just briefly, Stefan's story kind of reminded me of when I spoke to James Salcido for, uh, one of the Patreon bonus things. Mm. And actually, I think we might even have read some of his stuff on the main show. Mm. He was the one he's, he's got reduced vision, but when he saw the thing, he saw it clearly. Yes. Yeah. And funny enough, he actually just turned up on an episode of Where Did the Road Go? Hmm. I I hadn't heard from James in a long time and then I heard him on there. Again, there's something very, very sinister about this notion that uh, this thing is just sort of just on the fringes of your vision to the point where you almost can't quite make it out.
1: Hmm.
2: There's a few things like that where they're almost barely perceptible and they're almost at the very edge of your vision as though they're in some kind of different spectrum.
0: Well, that was something Keel always used to say, right? He used to think that they somehow existed in a different spectrum of light.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, ultraviolet or the infrared.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this sort of gives me pause this one you right? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I've been thinking about this notion of original inhabitants.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I, I was listening to uh, Strange Familiars today. Tim had this guy on, he, he's had a bunch of different stories. It, you know, listen to the show, folks. But um, there was one he talked about where him and his brother both saw basically a building floating in the sky and he said it looked kind of like he described it as looking like the shard in london (laughs) but it was just there kind of in the sky between them suddenly and then it was gone and you know we've talked a few times on the show about this notion of of like a side world or a sort of a parallel world of people who keep an eye on us or who at least very least are concerned about all the shenanigans we're getting up to over here and I don't know. To hear that really brings me back to to that notion, and and I always I wonder if it's like maybe there's different layers to it, right? Maybe there's uh again sort of this more like technocratic or, or or more advanced civilization that's alongside us, and maybe there's also like a more primordial, like an Earth spirit kind of thing, and and it's it's sort of a I don't know. It's a strange notion to imagine that we're stuck between those things.
2: Hmm. I mean, to be fair. Seeing buildings in the sky is is not that unusual. It's known as a is it a fate magana okay it is a it is a well known phenomenon really yeah
0: yeah oh okay so is this like one of those things where like there's a scientific explanation or it's just something that has been reported
2: It is some kind of reflection that finds itself appearing in the sky, so it basically looks like cities are in the clouds
0: interesting. How the he- I guess is it science is the word?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. It, it is something to do with light and reflection.
0: Interesting. Um, I had no causes idea.
2: It. And it can it can it can travel a fair distance to it. It also can sometimes manifest as what look like boats floating in the air because of the light and the horizon. I'm sure it's a fake okay. magana, but it is a, I mean, it is the- a known phenomenon.
0: Okay, okay, so that could just be a. Uh- a very, very strange reflection.
2: Yeah. I mean, people have taken pictures
0: of them. Really? Okay. Because they are that clear. clear.
2: I'm not sure if, if there's a lot, but I know that there are several reports that I've seen from China of people taking photos of what look like cities in the sky, and they're, they're simply reflections from the ground. But I'm not sure what the exact conditions are that cause it. But it is a, it is com- a known phenomenon. I'm sure it's According fate. According to Wick. Fate Morgana. Fate
0: Fata, Mor- uh, uh, yeah, F-A-T-A. We're back to Italy. Uh, so apparently that is the Italian, uh, I realized you, you didn't see that thing I just read in my head. Um, <laughs> the, the term Feta Morgana is the Italian translation of Morgan the fairy, Morgan Le Fay of Arthurian legend. These mirages are often seen in the Italian Strait of Messina and were described as fairy castles in the air or false land conjured by her magic. The optical phenomenon occurs because rays of light bend when they pass through air layers of different temperatures and a steep thermal inversion where an atmospheric duct is formed. I know what all those things are.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: In calm weather, a layer of significantly warmer air may, res- may rest over colder, dense air, forming an atmospheric duct, which I also know that is. Acts like a refracting lens, most commonly seen in polar regions, especially over large sheets of ice that have a uniform low temperature. It may, however, be observed in almost any area. That is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And co- coincidentally, to sort of bring back to a conversation you and I were having earlier, the Strait of Messina, which is where it is seen runs between sicily and calabria Mm -hmm. and i was telling you off air about a very a pretty good book that has a pretty bad audio presentation and it is about a crime organization a criminal organization that exists in that region (laughs) so we've come full circle and we're only halfway through the show indeed indeed thank you stefan and keep the stories coming my friend The Ghosts I Didn't See from Laura
2: In 2008, I felt an out-of-the-blue calling to help people living with HIV-AIDS. I didn't question it. Living 18 miles south of San Francisco, it was a no-brainer. I went to the Castro and looked for any way or anywhere I could help, and I found myself volunteering at a residential AIDS hospice. After sufficient training, I began to spend at least two days a week there, or more if someone was quickly passing. It was a very moving experience. Training could not prepare me for the humanity side of this. Death. I have happily witnessed several Lazarus effects whilst I was there. Residents and friends of mine outside the hospice would suddenly have a turnaround and seem to be thriving and healthy again. They are with the living as I write this. Yet I also learned that what appears to be the Lazarus effect can also be the sign of imminent death in some. And with all the suffering, pain, fear, death, and with all the love, empathy and grieving, there is bound to be a scattering of ghosts. And indeed there was. The hospice had a warm and welcoming feeling inside. A living room, large dining room, roomy atrium with trees and plants for fresh air and smokers. I felt like I was visiting friends at their home. There were usually 15 residents there at any time and when I wasn't attending to a resident I was usually in the atrium or dining room downing coffee and gabbing with the nurses and full-time staff. That's when the ghostly tales were shared. I have seen ghosts but I hadn't had any experiences there yet. I was intrigued and a sort of spooked by the ghostly gossip I was hearing. Staff had seen full-bodied apparitions enter the laundry room, kitchen walk about the halls and disappear. Even scarier, the long-term staff even knew who some of these spirits were. I would wait on the residents during meals as well as eat with them and keep them company. We'd play games in large groups and just visit cheerfully in the living room. These were actually halcyon moments. It's true that you get as much out of something as you put into it. There were some volunteers who trained with me who didn't really engage They simply spent their time leaning against the walls with folded arms. I called them flying buttresses. They were holding the walls up. They didn't enter into the sombre inner sanctum of those suffering too much to leave their beds. To my sorrow, I did. Like any group of people together, some would be loving and kind, but others could be angry and mean. And I get it. The answer to this was to serve the ones who want and need. Hours holding someone's hand, softly singing to them, dabbing their face with a cold cloth, soothing them and listening. This is the true story of Dolphin and Tiger. These animal names that I've given them here fit well. Because of the location involved and because there were, and probably still are, residents that have the same names as those I'm writing about, I'm using the names of beautiful free creatures each gentleman reminded me of. Dolphin was at a stage where he was wheelchair-bound and couldn't speak. He'd make up for it with his gentle, sweet smiles and light moans. As I got to know Dolphin, Tiger and the others, I made the first big mistake. Don't get emotionally involved. Sod that. How could I not be emotional? I stayed late one night attending Dolphin. He was dying. We played Hawaiian music on his stereo for him. He loved Hawaii and tropical beaches. His body lifted off the bed over and over as if doing crunches. I think it was his soul trying to exit. He moaned and clutched onto the folded towels. A gentle, middle-aged blond man with a smile that melts everyone's heart was leaving us. The next morning, I rushed back over to the hospice to find that Dolphin had passed away in the night. I went to attend Tiger. I loved Tiger and he was not doing well, according to the nurses. Yet he too had the Lazarus effect for a few days. I took him for walks outside and around the hospice. I'd hold on to him the entire time because he'd suddenly collapse and I would have to catch him. While slowly walking down the halls near his room, he'd ask me, Who is that man? He pointed ahead of him, and I could see no one. He asked me a couple more times, and I replied that I didn't recognise the man. Though I lied. I didn't even see anyone. Tiger was once a virile-toned, handsome man. Dark hair and beard, but now skin and bones. I can't remember how many times it happened, but the heavy hospital door to Tiger's room opened by itself. Another volunteer with me at the time also noticed this. She said it was probably Dolphin coming to visit Tiger to reassure and guide him. Then, something happened to me. It felt like all the electricity and energy in the room went straight through me, like someone holding a vacuum attachment to my back and sucking all the electricity through my solar plexus. I was stunned. I looked over at the volunteer and asked her if she'd felt it. But she hadn't. But by my reaction, she was aware something had happened. We knew it was Dolphin, showing me he was okay, existent and at peace. And letting us know he came to attend his friend Tiger. I hope the ghosts find their peace. I know some are with their friends in the next life, and Dolphin and Tiger would not want me to be sad. They were beautiful souls, they were loved, and are remembered and missed.
0: Laura, thank you so much for sharing that. That's, again, a beautiful story, and I think a beautiful tribute to the memories of what seemed like two very, very lovely people so th- this really kind of got me thinking paul i, I um obviously I, I i turned 40 this year and uh consequently i find myself thinking about death more than uh you know even usual i would say <laughs> and did you find that when you sort of turned 40 and i guess like you 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 turned 50 recently is that something that that you think about like the actual mechanics of it and sort of the the notion of of things left undone
2: I used to I don't anymore because I think too often we think about what may not be rather than what is and I think for a lot of people we don't take advantage of the now we think of the when and I think if you focus too much on the when you always miss out on the now
0: yeah I I think that's very wise so I try
2: not to there are occasions when I will think about it and think I wonder how long I've got left I wonder you know 28, another 28 years, 40 years, three years, six weeks. Who knows? Um, I hope I have a lot longer. But then sometimes I think, well, if I have another 30 years, then I might might hit 80. And then I think, well, what have I achieved in the previous 30 years? And then you think, God, it seems like a million years ago, but it's not. It's 30 years. And sometimes it can feel like forever. And then when you really think about it, it's no time at all. And so I used, like I say, I used to. And I think the last four or five years, I focused on now rather than when. And I found that life is incalculably better for it.
0: I think those are those are words to live by. Like, I, I, I think about that, right? Because I'm you know, I, I, I'm sort of now becoming like, I'm getting back into shape basically. Cause like I, I was never a slim guy. I've always been a hefty guy, but I always used to be very strong. And then uh, really for, for a combination of reasons, I kind of deprioritized that part of myself, you know, uh, the last few years, even prior to the pandemic, maybe a year or two prior to the pandemic, I wasn't working out as hard as I used to. Again, I was never an Adonis. It was just, I liked being strong, but I just stopped valuing that. And uh, you know, since moving to Montreal and, and, and now to London and, and, you know, the interim time in Victoria as well, you know, I, I've kind of taken back control of that part of my life and I, I've consequently, yeah, I'm, I'm a lot stronger and, you know, I'm, a lot, I'm feeling much more myself. But, you know, it, it's become apparent that just because of injuries and, and time, you know, there are things I'm likely not going to be able to do. Like I have to make accommodations for shit now, right? Like like I can't do a, a straight bench press anymore. My My elbows don't like it. Um, and yeah, and I just have to like account for that, right? Like I, I, I can, you know, I can do a chest press with 95 pound dumbbells, but if I try to bench press that same amount of weight, my, again, my, my arms are just going to tear off and it's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have a point. It's just, as I get older, I'm like, oh yeah, you you sort of have to come to terms with things. Certain things are just not going to be the way they were and that's Mm. okay but there is that adjustment period where you get like no 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 it it was fine before it should be fine now but of course that is not the nature of things you know things things evolve things change and and i think yeah i think one of the scariest things is is not being able to change with them
2: yeah very much so i used to be terrible i always always look back and think that that was it and then i'd be thinking is this all i've got to look forward to without the realization that if if i did what i wanted to do then those thoughts would leave me and they have for the most part over the last five and a half years. So it Absolutely is, cool. I think it's, it's a mindset. Um, you know, I think you have to, most people, especially for men in their forties as well. And we talk about this a lot. Obviously it's the biggest killer here in the UK for men in their forties is suicide. And I think a lot of that is to do with that kind of mindset of it's over. This is it. you just, counting the days down after (laughs) after you hit a certain age and I think I got to uh, 45 and I'd felt like that for about 10 years but it's remarkable how a change of focus and feeling finally comfortable in my own skin allowed me to realize that no not at all in fact the best things I could ever do were to be ahead of me and I still are and I think once you get through that period with the right people and having the right support and help and assistance and and being brave enough and strong enough to ask for it you can realize that it is something that you will go through and you are not alone and you can get through it
0: i definitely had that feeling that that's one of the reasons i i went to montreal and, and now i'm here is i started to, to think like that you know i remember talking to my friend my cousin mike uh who listens to the show hello mike I'll never forget. I, I was sitting in a really beautiful spot watching the sunset, but I just felt so empty. And I remember telling him, I said, dude, I said, I can't imagine living another 30, 40 years like this. It just seems like there's nothing like the party's over and I'm still, I'm the last one here, you know? And I think that, yeah, I think that can happen. I, I think like if you don't evolve and, and sometimes that's difficult, you know, cause it can be scary, right? Like it. Things change. One of the things that kind of like I've had in my life is I seem to be a person who evolves like steadily and I get really miserable if I try and stay in one place, like, like mentally or, or sometimes physically. And I think we, we do that, right? Like we kind of, we're taught that like you, you stop evolving, you get married or you get a partner or you get a job and, and you get, or you have kids and like, that's it. Your, your evolution stops there. And I think that's one of the most toxic mindsets we've, we've, we've sort of put together is this notion that you should just, you reach a point where you just stop. Yeah. It's, it's awful. Cause like it does, it, it, you know, it feels like, it feels like the party's over and you're just waiting, waiting around for someone to, to do up like to, to turn out the lights. And it's <laughs> what a, what a terrible, lonely thing. Mm-hmm. This idea that, that the carnival, like the carnival's over and you're just waiting on the midway, you know?
2: Yeah. Or you get to a certain age and people say, what, what are you wearing trainers for? You, you're not 20 anymore. No, really? no, I'm not. I can afford really nice trainers now.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. And I think when you have stories shared like that with us, you know, I, I mean, I, it's something very close to me anyway, HIV and, and AIDS. My middle name is Damien. And I was named after one of my mum's gay friends who she knocked about with. Like I say, I had a very, very open-minded childhood. So I was surrounded by a lot of people who the community would frown upon for not being normal as they would consider it in those days, which is why I'm always glad that we've never been normal in my family and I'm all the better (laughs) for it. And so I've always been extremely comfortable in my own skin, in my own sexuality, and in the way that I find and treat people from all walks of life, primarily, because I had so many positive experiences growing up. And so my middle name is Damien. I was named after one of my mum's dearest friends, who was a beautiful gay man, who was one of the first people in the UK to die of HIV that he caught in America. Um, oh. because he was, he was a bit of a tart. And uh, unfortunately, he came home, and obviously they didn't know what was wrong with him, and he sure. he died far too young. You know, this is like the mid to late 80s.
0: Oh, wow. Right, so right, yeah.
2: And especially here in the UK, it wasn't, you know, we used to have those adverts of, like, great big black tombstones crashing through the ice going, AIDS, learn about it. Wow. Um, and, and so everybody was absolutely terrified. Of of this, and so it's it's something that I've been aware of for a very long time, and so I'm aware of, especially in San Francisco, uh, and the awful humanitarian crisis that occurred there in the early '80s, where you had hundreds and thousands of men who were who were dying, and nobody seemed to give a shit a lot of the time. And it was only when certain people started to advocate for these people to be finally treated as human beings and not be treated as modern-day lepers that people actually began to realise that you can't define an illness or a person by their sexuality. You have to deal with them as a human being. And I think if if we take anything from the horrific... HIV crisis of the late 70s, early 80s, especially in the States, it's that perhaps it brought forward a lot more people's mindset into a modern egalitarian principle of treating people as you find them, regardless of who they were and who they slept with as consenting adults. Who
0: gives a shit? Yeah. You know, I, I was I was listening to a show because obviously a lot of the podcasts I listen to are not paranormal, and I was listening to a sh- one of the political shows. The host basically said, you know, on all these issues, uh, the rights of the the rights of people to be who they want to be and 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 be, be to love who they want to love. You come down; it comes down to two choices. You can choose to be kind or cruel. That's it. That's what it boils down to. That's that's the in the final tally, those are the two choices, and why. Would you ever choose to be cruel? Yeah. One last thing before we go, I want to say, um, one of those podcasts I listen to, uh, The Scathing Atheist, one of the hosts, uh, he goes by the name No Illusions, uh, he almost died of a heart attack recently on his way back from a live show. And he starts every show with something they call the diatribe. He is on the most recent episode. He sounds very weak. Um, and, but he does a really moving diatribe about his experience of of having a heart attack and of coming near death, which for him as an atheist is, is even more of, a, I think, a frightening experience you might expect. Um, so it, anyways, I, not, I don't think generally the content of that show and would be a great fit for our audience. But I will say you can usually find the diatribe on YouTube, uh, and I would listen to that that episode because again, it's just a very moving look at mortality and legacy and the things we leave behind. Again, if we're we're going to do a final tally, I I know I want mine to be more kind than cruel.
2: All power to you, Laurie. You do something that I could never, ever emotionally deal with. So uh, long may people like yourself continue to do what people like me can't. And uh, it's a beautiful thing that you do. So thank you
0: for doing what you do. The Life After Death from Danielle. My name is Danielle. I'm a newer listener to the podcast and truly love the show. Lately, I've been having this almost nagging feeling slash interest for paranormal spooky stories and searched online and found your show. It's so entertaining, informative, and lighthearted in a way that just kept me coming back for more. Also, when listening to my first episode on your page, I was pleasantly surprised and proud that you promote the importance of mental health and that you are not alone, especially as men. I was hooked. I've been kind of shamelessly binging all the episodes since then. I listened to your most recent episodes first, then did a deep dive back to the beginning to start from the bottom up. I just finished listening to your mythical dreams and crossing over episodes, and I'm feeling compelled to share my own story, one of grief and loss, messages from the beyond, acceptance and peace. I am now wondering if the nagging feeling I've had lately to search for a page such as yours is coming full circle, and I'm starting to think it wasn't totally a happenstance thing. But potentially an opportunity to share a story I've kept very close to myself for about 12 years now. I'd love to share with you, because I think we can connect together about it better than I could with others, both on the paranormal side and on the mental health side. I'd like to advise that there is a trigger warning of suicide to any reader and listener. Here's my story To set the tone and background, I grew up in a very strict Christian Baptist home with many of the traditional values. This story takes place when I was around 16 years old when I had reached the peak of my personal understanding and beliefs with religion. Unfortunately, my upbringing with organized religion was of a very black-and-white, scare-tactic-like nature that didn't allow for open conversations or questions about challenging things. Due to this, I didn't really have any feelings about the spooky and unexplainable things, or the complexities of life, but this was definitely an altering experience. So, I was 16 years old, lucky to not have had any negative life-changing experiences so far, and dating my then-boyfriend. He was my first boyfriend, and we dated in high school, and as high school sweethearts tend to be, I was convinced he was the one, and that this was it. He was two years older than I, and we had been together for two years at that point. He was getting ready to head off to his first year of college while I was finishing up high school. Of course, with this change, he was going through some difficulty with his mental health, but unfortunately, he had kept the severity of the situation mostly to himself. I also was too young at the time to understand or to know what science to look for or to offer much help slash support, other than listening to what he would open up to me about. After some time, treatment with medication and general struggle with his mental health, he took his own life, at 2am on a summer morning, July 2012. It happened via car accident that came across as that, an accident. But some details of the accident and his injuries pointed towards suicide. I also had this gut feeling about it that would just not go away. I was lucky enough to have never experienced death before this, so I was beside myself with grief, shock, anger, and a mixture of every other emotion crammed together. In the days leading up to his wake-slash-viewing, I emotionally was spiraling. I was devastated, felt alone, felt hurt that he didn't say goodbye, anger, confusion, and an overwhelming sense of sorrow that he was suffering even in death, as strict Baptist Christian teachings stated that taking your life is a heavy sin. I was angry that that's what I believed at the time, that my religion wasn't a source of comfort during this time. Because what else is a young, sheltered girl of organized religion supposed to turn to in a time of crisis? The way I resorted to dealing with these feelings early on was simply not to deal with them at all, by sleeping. If I was awake, I could do nothing but cry and word vomit out loud the mess that was in my mind, directed at him as if he could hear me. My religion said he couldn't, because he committed. On a particularly hard evening, I was in bed, crying, when I finally, deeply, pleaded a request. If you can hear me or see me, please find a way to tell me you are okay. You're not in pain. You're not suffering. I can't continue on like this. I made the request to be something both undeniable and the first thing that came to my mind. I said, call my phone. Please keep in mind, during the days of his death to his wake and funeral, his personal belongings, including his phone, were tied up with the local police department as they completed their investigation into the crash and cause of death. As strangely grotesque as this is, I imagine it was in a clear plastic evidence bag. If not that, maybe something else. But I knew for a fact his phone had not yet been given to his family. So there I was, alone in my room, grieving, request tearfully pled out loud and within my mind. I lay down to sleep, and I did. When I woke, it was to my phone vibrating. Thinking it was someone else reaching out to check on me, forgetting my request, I lazily looked at it. To my shock, his name was on my caller ID. In the span of what was truly a few seconds but felt like forever, I quickly began thinking, how is this possible? Is a policeman or someone like that using his phone to contact me? That would be weird. My heart was beating a million miles an hour to where my chest felt hollow. I answered the phone. Hello? I said quietly. On the other line was a soft, hum-like static, like from an old TV. I listened for a while. There was nothing there. Hello? I said again, and nothing. I left the line open for a while, about a minute and thirty seconds, just to give my brain time to process what was happening, and to rule out things like technology acting up or a poor cellular connection. But of course, the static didn't change. I hung up the phone then, sat for a long, long time, digesting what just happened. Admittedly, in my grief, I thought, No way. It was a fluke. If that was truly you, do it again. Hand on my heart. It happened again. My phone rang. It was his name on the caller ID, and it left a long voicemail with that same low, hum-like TV static. I believe from how deeply I felt my grief, my mind just wouldn't let me process what had happened for a long time and what it could possibly mean. On one hand, I I got what I asked for, the assurance that he's okay and not suffering. On the other, it challenged my complicated relationship with religion and the complexities about that and life itself. I'm glad to say that now, 12 years later, I've been able to be deeply grateful for this experience, allow myself to understand how profound this experience actually was and how equally unique it is to me, but also allows me to be a part of a bigger group in understanding that religion is not black and white. Nor is life and life after death. I'd like to mention that despite this difficult loss, I went on to college to study mental health and psychology, and I'm now a mental health professional to help others during their struggles. My story with The Unexplainable is sad, but hopefully one that may bring comfort to someone else out there that can relate on any level. I loved. I lost. I grieved. I found peace and happiness. Lastly, I have to add... I kept that phone he called me on all these years later because I wanted to keep that last connection we had the two phone calls and voicemail. Would you believe me if I told you they both magically disappeared from that phone as if it never happened? And Danielle, I have no words. That is a wonderful, heartbreaking story. And I want to say thank you for doing what you did with your life because that is no small thing to be able to take that pain and turn it into something really beautiful that helps enrich the lives of others is that requires a, a reserve of strength that is not common. And I, I hope that you, in your quiet moments, you, you say that to yourself. You say, holy shit, I, I did this thing. And I, you're, I helped make the world a better place. And I think in the end, that that's all we can ask
1: from each other.
2: It's something that we often find difficult to deal with in especially in the grieving process when you are constrained by organized religion in regards to the way that some people leave this earth to view them as lesser beings for some stupid ignorant reason and so i think sometimes it takes a terrible situation such as that to shake your mind free of the shackles and appreciate the reality of people. And so it's something that, that can completely shake your foundations on every level to to make you realise of of what you can do and for, for it to then manifest itself in a way that seems as though they are reaching from the ether to offer comfort especially on phones and things like that because i always find encounters like this incredibly fascinating even to the to the extent of this one that there's no communication other than it's that person ringing and i think it it's one of those strange things that i would imagine most people or maybe not maybe i'm being overly presumptuous i've still got Telephone numbers in my phone from people who have passed, and I can't delete them, and I don't know why. I don't know why. You know, it's a strange thing, I think, but for it to be able to help and heal and give someone the power to move forwards positively from such a shocking series of events, I think is testament to the message that was trying to be sent
0: yeah you know you took that that moment of connection between one world and another in in the your worst possible place and again you, you took it forward and you turned it into something beautiful and, and like that i just don't think there's any there's any more i don't think you can honor this person's memory in any better way and you know the the fact that the, that it's gone. I mean, who's to say? I mean, at this point, you know, we're we're way way out on the fringes. But I mean, I wonder if it's because you don't need it anymore. You know, because it, it, for something like that to stick around it, past that point, it's just about proof, and proof is irrelevant because proof isn't going to matter to anyone. You need to convince, right? Like the the, the point the point of the of that was not to convince other people that life after death is real. The point of that was to get you to a place where you can stop other people from making that same mistake.
2: Yep. As as many a person will say that's had a strange experience, I don't really care if you believe me or not, but I know I believe yeah. it. And that's all that matters.
0: That's it. That's it. So thank you again, Daniel. Uh, again, that was just a, a, a beautiful, heartbreaking story. And we deeply appreciate you trusting us enough to share it. And uh, that's going to do it. That's going to do it for the life after death. Thanks so much to everyone who sent in their stories. Uh, Again, we would love to hear yours. Send it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com, or you can record it on your phone, send it to the same, and we will do our best to get it in a show. Again, we love, love, love hearing from you guys. We read, pardon me, we read everything we get sent. We just don't necessarily respond to everyone uh, because I'm very bad at keeping up with email. but. Again, we read and appreciate every single thing you send. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Ghost Force shoutouts. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help.
2: We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never
0: too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the new number to call is 988, that's 988.
2: In the UK, the number to call is 116-123, or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114.
0: However bad shit seems, it will pass, and no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you, and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing Please know that we've both been where you are, and there is a way back to the world. Take care.
1: Welcome back.
0: The Ghost Story Guys are Luke Greensmith, who helps us find our stories and of course hosts the Luke Lore podcast. Tanya Downing, who manages our Facebook communities and helps with editing. Adam Lynch, who edits our video and of course hosts the Weekly Creep podcast with Dulce. Joseph Camo, who helps manage our YouTube presence, and hosts Weird Together With Me, and has his own show, The Cardinal Rule, on YouTube. Sarah Kent, who manages our Reddit community. Our paranormal conductor is Mr. Brennan Storr. And of course, my co-host is the one, the only, the inimitable, Paul Bestel, the paranormal, Johnny Carson himself, host of Mysteries and Monsters. Paul, what's coming up on M&M?
2: I return to the topic of UFOs in the company of Preston Dennett as we dive into some extremely odd and unusual cases of humanoids and high strangeness from above, which is um, more fun than I thought it would be. (laughs) Some very strange witness (laughs) accounts that go on that make you chuckle and scratch your head a lot more. But they're sometimes the kind of UFO encounters that I enjoy such as the space pancake one which is always a famous one
0: all right i'm looking forward to hearing that i still i still got to catch up with the richard freeman uh gull of tajikistan episode tajikistan yes so where can everyone find you online you can find mysteries
2: and monsters uh, across all social media platforms and podcast
0: aggregators from around the world all right you can find me as largely the truth on instagram letterboxed blue sky and threads. You can also find my other show weird together. That is a podcast co-hosted with a Dr. Joseph Camo, where we examine the latest and greatest independent horror films through a sociological lens. It is both less and more nerdy than it sounds, but it's always a ton of fun. Our most recent episode, we talked about barbarian and the next show mm-hmm. coming up will be uh, Joe Lynch's suitable flesh. We'll be talking about that is an adaptation of HP Lovecraft's, the thing on the doorstep very loosely pardon me, a very loose adaptation and a sort of a side sequel to *Reanimator*. So I'm looking forward to that show. You can find Weird Together everywhere. Fine podcasts live. And you'll also find it linked in the show notes along with Mysteries and Monsters. As we said at the top of the show, if you want to support what we do here, and hey, we appreciate it, especially me, the guy currently paying two rents. I very <laughs> much appreciate it. You can do that at patreon.com slash ghost story That's patreon.com slash ghost story Or you can sign up to GSG premium via Apple podcasts that gets you ad free early access to episodes that also gets you access to our entire back catalog of stuff. You've got episodes of host adventures, which is my sort of weekly or bi-weekly, depending show where I kind of talk about what's going on with me and my life. You get the bonus conversations between me and Paul from every main episode. I just dropped the one for episode 174. It's about 45 minutes. So if you want more of me and Paul just shooting the shit about anything from UFOs to movies to the weather, you can get that as part of our bonus conversations. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff, which again, you can find at patreon.com slash ghost That's patreon.com slash ghost guys, or by signing up to GSD premium. Yeah, Apple Podcasts. And of course, if you support the show at the $20 level and above, that makes you part of a little something we like to call...
1: Ghost Force. (laughs) That's right. Patrons of the $20 level and above get thanked here every second episode because we finally found someone crazier than we are. This time around, the members of Ghost Force are... Ethan Saragon. Big Titty Kitty. Bren wears a pink tutu. Carrie Lambertus. Cheryl Baker. Crazy Mom. C.T. Ethony Michaud. Generic Bob, Hannah Brown. Hannah Siemens. Hilary Disassure. Jane Morse. Jason R. Slaughter. Slaughter, 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 Slaughter. Slaughter, Slaughter. Slaughter. Jennifer Mullen. Jennifer Sharko. Jessica. R. Linder. Joseph Camo. Caitlin Park. Kimberly Hansen. Malevolent Clamato. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Mara Noriega. Mark Semler. Merlin Hansen. Michael
2: Carney. Not Kearney. Carney. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, just give me a second. <laughs> okay. Oh, you son of a bitch. Well, all right. Mm, mm, uh. <laughs> I'm leaving all that in, by the way. Good. Nicola. Peter Guns. Zero eight point five. Rebecca Brink. Rockin' Ronnie Shenanigans. Rosman Riquez.
2: Samantha
1: Ellis. Shannon Steyer. Trent Cannon. You are the few. You are the spooky. You are Ghost Force. <laughs>
0: Thanks again, guys. Really, we, we cannot tell you how much we appreciate your support. You guys are nuts and we love you for it. And if you would like to join our insane club, head to patreon.com slash ghost story guys and join up at the ghost force level. But really, we appreciate it any and all support, just because, hey, it means a lot that you take the time to do it. So, hey, thank you. Can I just do an interjection newsflash? Yes, please.
2: So, we've just been recording an episode about people having experiences of loved ones or people that they work with coming back. Yes. And I've just had a message from a friend of mine telling me about... A recent event the other night, the other month, where she was downstairs and the children had gone upstairs to get their jammers on when they both came screaming downstairs to come quickly, shouting that their daddy, their daddy had returned. This, this chap had sadly taken his own life last year and then left a, uh, a six year old and a nine year old behind. Um, so my friend's gone running upstairs and said, Oh, okay, because she didn't want to dismiss what they were saying to her. And, and one, of the, one of her sons said, yeah, Daddy said you wouldn't believe us because you don't believe in that kind of thing. And the, so she started laughing. Um, so he said he wanted to show you that he still loved you. And her son pointed at the curtains. And in the curtains, you can clearly see what looks like a face. Jesus. So isn't that weird that I get a message like that at this time of night from someone? talking about exactly the same subject. They've no idea what the content of this episode is, and obviously we usually don't until Wednesdays, do we? So Yeah, that's it. So to get a random message like that, talking about the exact subject that we've been covering today, I think says wow, it all.
0: Holy shit.
2: Yeah, I have weird friends. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's incredible, man. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, it's hard to follow that, Paul, but... um. Do you have any uh, spots coming up in other shows? I will
2: be shortly making an appearance on an episode of Jim Harold's Campfire.
0: Oh yes, this is one we where you're wearing the clown outfit.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, because we did. We decided the best time to record was five thirty on Halloween. Naturally. And so I was dressed up to terrify the trick or treaters. <laughs> so, but I'm not sure when that's coming out. But I know it's it's coming soon because it's recorded and, and Jim's told me he'll let me know when it's out. So, uh, and he very kindly allows me to mention the shows. He, did, he, introduced, he introduced me as an extremely accomplished podcaster.
0: As is right and just. <laughs> so yeah. Jim and knows I what's it, up.
2: I finished it the proper way. Stay spooky, Jim.
0: <laughs> and then he shot me and said, that's my thing. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs>
2: keep paranormally pert
0: <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, I don't like that <laughs> keep supernaturally hard
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man keep an eye on our socials when that comes out we'll post it up uh, I was recently a guest on the Business Development Podcast uh, on the episode Identify the Fear, where I talk about barriers to creativity. So, again, that was a business development podcast. You'll find all of our appearances mine, Paul's, Luke's, um, Anthony's. Anytime someone associated with a show does an appearance somewhere, we link it on the blog at ghoststoryguys.com. Speaking of ghoststoryguys.com, if you want some gear, that's the place to get it. We also have Redbubble and T Public stores, but. We uh, prefer ghoststoryguys.com because we think the quality of the merchandise is better. You can also get an inimitable Paul Bestel mug there. <laughs> and if you want to follow us on social media, come find us on Facebook. We, are, we have both a page as The Ghost Story Guys and we have a group called The Ghost Story Guys Finally Made a Group. You'll find links to all that in the show notes. We're also on Instagram as The Ghost Story Guys. Shout out to our composer, A Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of film journalist and musician Jerry Smith. You can find Jerry's music streaming as both Rainy Days for Ghosts and Street Witch on music platforms everywhere, or at rainydaysforghosts.bandcamp.com. Finally, our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter of Pizanta Music. You can find Pizanta Music streaming everywhere. You get your tunes. And I guess that's going to do it.
2: Well, we'll be back in a week. But until then... Into the
0: darkness we go.
2: Dickie sweetness. Fizzy Fizzy Pop. It's what we call soda. Fizzy Pop. Fizzy Pop. I think it's more shop. the way you said it.
0: It wasn't Fizzy Pop. It was a Fizzy Fizzy Pop. Fizzy
2: Fizzy Pop.
0: That's it. Yeah. Not crazy about that. Don't know if I, <laughs> if I, I can hear that in my nightmares. <laughs> I can be sleeping there and just from the darkness in the corner of the room I'll hear Fizzy Fizzy Pop. Woo!